Next, this month's special series, Focus on Heart Health. Throughout the month of February, ReachMD talks with experts about new medications, technologies, and treatment guidelines in cardiac care. Are we doing too many bypass surgeries and angioplasties? You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to our series, Focus on the Heart, on ReachMD. I am your host, Dr. Matthew Sorrentino from the University of Chicago, and with me today is Dr. Michael Osner. Dr. Osner is the Medical Director of Wellness and Prevention at Baptist Health, South Florida, and the Medical Director of the Cardiovascular Prevention Institute of South Florida in Miami, Florida. Dr. Osner just recently wrote a book entitled The Great American Heart Hoax. He also is the author of The Miami Mediterranean Diet. Thank you very much, Dr. Osner, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So the first question that comes to mind, of course, is why are we doing too many bypass surgeries and angioplasties? Well, I think that certainly bypass surgery, stent placement, cardiac intervention is not only important but can be life-saving in the unstable patient, the patient who presents with acute ischemic syndrome, such as an acute uh, evolving myocardial infarction. Certainly, we understand the importance of intervention in that setting. The problem is that when we extrapolate intervention into the stable population, people who have obstructive coronary artery disease yet are stable, and in some cases asymptomatic, we really don't have clinical trial evidence to justify the intervention that we're doing in the United States. Well, don't you think it makes sense, though, if there is a severe blockage that trying to open it or bypass it should down the road give benefit to a patient? You certainly would think that there is. The problem is when we started to look at clinical trials to see whether or not intervention was preferable to medical therapy, it did not support intervention. There were the catheter-based trials looking initially at balloon angioplasty, trials such as the AVERT trial, and then the stent trials such as the COURAGE trial. And these trials really did not show that intervention, catheter-based intervention, was superior to medical therapy and lifestyle changes in stable patients with obstructive coronary disease. The same can be said for the bypass surgical trials. And, you know, the VA trial, the coronary artery surgery trial, or the CAS trial, and the European CAS trial, which is known as EuroCAS, These studies really did not show in the vast majority of patients who, again, were stable, who had obstructive coronary disease, that performing bypass surgery was better than conservative medical therapy. Now, why do you think these trials failed to show superiority? I guess the question I'm asking is, are we treating the wrong thing when we're treating the obvious stenosis? I think we are, and I think that what we've learned, especially over the last decade, is that obstructive coronary artery disease and ischemic syndromes really are not what we thought they were, and that it was a progressive buildup of atherosclerotic plaque until we basically occluded an artery and we had an event. We understand that really the process is much more dynamic than that. It's not a bland cholesterol storage disease. It's an active inflammatory disease. And inflammation really is involved with all stages of atherosclerosis, from the initiation of the atherosclerotic plaque to the progression of the plaque to the subsequent rupture of the plaque 
and then to the thrombosis or clot that forms that leads to sudden and catastrophic events. So we know in the stable patient, when that patient gets into trouble, it's inflammation and plaque rupture, and our angioplasty may not be dealing directly with the precursor of that lesion down the road. So what can we do to prevent this inflammation and prevent these plaques from rupturing in our patients? We understand that atherosclerosis is a metabolic disorder. It really requires a metabolic, not a surgical or intervention solution unless the plaque ruptures and we're in the setting of an acute ischemic event such as an evolving heart attack, then everything shifts to getting restoration of blood flow where intervention is of critical importance. But in the stable population, we need a metabolic solution. We need to not only lower cholesterol levels, we need to understand that the atherosclerotic plaque certainly involves inflammatory cells and inflammatory cytokines. And what we understand today is that an unstable plaque, which is a plaque that not only has a large lipid pool, but a plaque that has a rich inflammatory milieu and a thin fibrous cap, is much more dangerous than a plaque that can be much larger, yet is stable by virtue of a thick fibrous cap and a paucity of inflammatory cells. So what we have learned is that it's the vulnerable, unstable plaque that is the dangerous one that leads to acute myocardial infarction and sudden cardiac death. It's not simply a question of is the plaque an 80 or 90% plaque versus a 10 or 20% plaque. The question should be is it stable or unstable. Now, in your recent book, you advocate a very aggressive prevention program to try to help prevent these clinical syndromes. Let's talk first about diet. What type of diet are you advocating your patients? And I guess even more importantly, how do you get your patients to stay on the diet? I've been an advocate of the Mediterranean diet for many years. If one looks at the clinical trial studies, the clinical trial evidence supporting a Mediterranean diet, it's vast. Multiple trials, not only in the United States but around the world, have shown that if you follow a Mediterranean diet, which of course is fresh fruits and vegetables, whole grains, cold water fish that brings omega-3 to the table, nuts, beans, essentially what we're talking about is non-processed food, certainly a decrease in the amount of red meat consumption. What we have learned is that this type of dietary plan actually lowers inflammation. And we know that inflammation is important, and we know that a typical Western or American diet raises inflammation. If we look at, for instance, markers such as C-reactive protein, interleukin-6, we understand that one of the benefits of a Mediterranean diet is to lower inflammatory cytokines and inflammatory markers. In addition, we understand that the problem with the typical American or Western diet is one of what we term postprandial dysmetabolism. We understand that the typical Western diet is highly processed, calorie-dense, and nutrient-depleted, as opposed to a Mediterranean diet, again, because it does not contain processed foods, certainly has a wealth of antioxidants that help to neutralize free radicals, which we also understand lead to oxidation of LDL, lead to many other disease states. And I think that this is why we have seen such a significant amount of data that has supported a Mediterranean diet. 
for cardiovascular disease prevention. If you are just joining us, you are listening to Focus on the Heart from ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Matt Sorrentino, and with me today is Dr. Michael Osner. He's a preventive cardiologist from Miami, Florida. We've been talking about his recent book called The Great American Heart Hoax and how we can hopefully reduce the likelihood of our patients having bypass surgery or angioplasty. So I guess one of the problems that I've had is trying to get patients to stay with a good prevention treatment plan. Certainly the Mediterranean diet, DASH diet, and others have been well studied and well proven, but what type of advice do you give your patients to stay on this type of diet and avoid the fast food restaurants? Well, the Mediterranean diet's been around for 7,000 years. Unfortunately, what patients want is a diet that not only is palatable, but leads to satiety or feeling satisfied after a meal. And the Mediterranean diet would not have been around as long as it has if it wasn't palatable. And I truly believe that this diet, and it has been shown in studies, is one that people can follow for a lifetime. And it could be the young, middle-aged, and the elderly. We understand that some of the diets that have been out there have failed because they're either too complicated for people to follow. Most people, for instance, if you tell somebody to reduce their saturated fat intake to less than 7%, they don't understand what that means. I've found in my own practice that it's much easier to tell people to eat fresh, whole foods, foods that are not processed with trans fats, not processed with high fructose corn syrup, reduce the amount of sodium in their diets and People tend to understand that, and there's a number of different recipes that people can enjoy, whether it's breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, and I have found that the vast majority of my patients have not only followed the Mediterranean diet, but they have enjoyed it. One of the preventive modalities you discuss in your book is stress reduction. How important do you think stress is in causing plaque rupture and leading to coronary events? Well, I think it's very important. In fact, I think it's forgotten risk factor. In fact, there was a recent European study that showed that people that are under regular stress have a significant increase in myocardial infarction. It's been well chronicled over the years that chronic stress, whether it be job-related stress, marital stress, whatever the type of stress is, we understand that its effect on our sympathetic nervous system, on glucocorticoids that leads to our blood more likely to clot. It leads to an increased likelihood of lethal cardiac arrhythmias. It elevates the blood pressure. It has a deleterious effect on our serum lipids. So we understand that stress management techniques are very important. And interestingly, they're actually very easy to implement in our patient population. These are techniques like the relaxation response that Dr. Herb Benson introduced years ago, the yoga, meditation, self-hypnosis. There's a lot of very simple and easy types of relaxation, response, meditation, training that patients can do, they can implement in their daily lives, and it will reduce their likelihood of having a cardiovascular event. You also mentioned the problem with oxidative stress. Are there any type of antioxidant therapies that you advise your patients to take? Well, that's a good point because when a lot of my patients think about antioxidants, they're thinking about supplements and pills. When I think about antioxidants, I'm thinking about food because the best approach is a wide variety of fresh fruits and vegetables of all different color. All the different colors bring different antioxidants to the table. And 
What we have also learned is that a single antioxidant in very high doses really doesn't result in cardiovascular benefit. In fact, it's just the opposite. If you looked at the vitamin E trials and some of these other trials looking at trying to tease out a single antioxidant and giving it in very high doses, that's not effective. What is effective is telling patients to have a diet, again, of a wide variety of fresh fruits and vegetables of all different color, whole grains. This brings thousands upon thousands of antioxidants to the table, and these antioxidants help to neutralize free radicals that are formed in our body on a daily basis. So in reality, what we have is an ongoing battle, an ongoing struggle that's played out on a microscopic battlefield that pits free radicals that lead to all types of disease states against antioxidants. If our antioxidant defenses are able to neutralize these disease-causing free radicals, we are healthier. We certainly enjoy not only better health, but I think that the studies have shown that this is a way that we can have our patients stay healthy and avoid cardiovascular disease, avoid cancer, avoid a lot of different disease states. So I guess I'm going to be a little skeptical here and ask the question, how successful do you think all these modalities can be in reducing the need for angioplasty or the reducing the need for bypass surgery? Can we really make an impact on reducing these type of procedures? Well, I think we can. All physicians want to practice evidence-based medicine. The problem is that when a patient comes in for a workup and they're told that they have a significant obstruction in one of their arteries and they're told that we can fix you with a stent or with bypass surgery, I don't believe that we have clinical trial evidence to support this. There's mounds of evidence in the literature to support an aggressive prevention approach in this type of patient population. Well, I want to thank Dr. Michael Osner, who is the medical director of the Cardiovascular Prevention Institute of South Florida. We have been discussing prevention modalities in our patients with chronic coronary disease as a way of not only reducing events, but hopefully reducing the number of bypass surgeries and angioplasties. You can read more about his prevention program in his recent book, The Great American Heart Hoax. I am Dr. Matthew Sorrentino. You have been listening to our series, Focus on the Heart, from ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at reachmd.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. And thank you for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Heart Health. For a program guide, complete list of shows, and podcasts, please visit us at ReachMD.com.